0: eavesdrop on experts a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights it's where expert types obsess confess and profess i'm chris Hatzis. let's eavesdrop on experts changing the world one lecture one experiment one interview at a time there are phenomena in our universe that are almost beyond our realm of understanding what lies in the dark space between the stars how can we measure things that are invisible What prevents the galaxies from expanding into oblivion? One explanation is the existence of dark matter, undetectable because it's comprised of particles that don't absorb, reflect or emit light. The quest to understand dark matter requires innovative approaches. Elisabetta Barberio is Professor of Physics at the University of Melbourne and the Director of the ARC Centre of Excellence for Dark Matter Particle Physics. Elisabetta is leading groundbreaking Australian research in the hunt for dark matter, and it's all happening 1,000 metres underground in Stahl, Victoria, with the construction of the Stahl Underground Physics Laboratory, or SUPPL. The SUPPL will allow researchers led by founding Suple director, Professor Elisabetta Barberio, to search for dark matter, the so far undiscovered elementary particle that perhaps makes up a quarter of the universe. Professor Elisabetta Barberia sat down for a Zoom chat about her work with Dr Andy Horvath. Elisabetta, what is dark matter?
1: As far as we can see in the universe, star, um, galaxy uh, and dust is all made of atoms and atoms are made of nuclei and electrons. And this is the ordinary matter that made up Earth and us. However, when we look at the cosmos and we look at galaxy and the rotation of galaxy, we realize that in the cosmos there must be more matter than what we can see. And this matter that we cannot see but must be there because gravity, tells us, is there, is the dark matter. What is the composition of this mysterious substance, we don't know. And uh, one of the main, uh, the biggest challenge in fundamental physics of this century is really understanding the nature of dark matter.
2: How much dark matter makes up the universe? If there's normal matter and there are other particles which we've identified that make up the universe, how much is dark matter the composition of the universe?
1: If we discuss about how much matter there is in the universe, dark matter is about 85% of the matter in the universe. If we consider also energy, because from Einstein we know that energy is equal to mass times the speed of light square, at that point the universe is composed of 25% dark matter, 5% ordinary matter, the matter we are made of, and the remaining is all what we call dark energy. That is even more mysterious than dark matter.
2: Okay, so there's a lot of particles, a lot of energy, but you're focusing on dark matter. Tell me about the dark matter particle what, how is it different to, say, cosmic rays or radiation?
1: The dark matter particle from the name dark matter is called like that because it doesn't emit light. So if you have a telescope, you cannot see. But it does not only not emit light in the visible spectrum, it doesn't emit any electromagnetic radiation, so radio wave, infrared, ultraviolet. So no matter which kind of astronomical instrument you try to look at the sky, you cannot see. The particularity of dark matter is that it doesn't interact very much, if at all, with ordinary matter. For this reason, we really don't know what it is. We have hypotheses of what it is, based on the fact that it's keeping a galaxy together, based on the fact that we know that if we rewind back in time, the universe gets smaller and smaller and smaller until there is a... All the energy and mass of the universe goes in a single point called a singularity, and this is the Big Bang. And if we look at the story history of the universe, we know that galaxies have been formed at a certain time in the, in the history of the universe, and they've been formed where there were pockets of this dark matter, so we know that dark matter is there. And uh, we know that in our galaxy, the majority of the material in our galaxy is dark matter. And as Earth goes around the galaxy, it goes in this flow of dark matter. So from this astronomical observation, we know that dark matter is massive, as mass, otherwise will not be feeling gravity. We know that is not is going quite slow, so it means much slower than the speed of light. This is another characteristic, so it means that it's quite massive, it's not very light. It weighs much more than, than an electron. And then we know that exactly does not interact with anything. So this is what we know of dark matter. I mean, it's a particle with these characteristics. Of the particle that we discover up to now, none of that has this characteristic.
2: Okay, so dark matter is the particle that holds the universe together. Is it travelling through my body right now? Like, Is it like radiation? Can it go through or bounce off some of the atoms in my body?
1: Dark matter passes almost through everything. So if you think about our galaxy, you can think about our galaxy, and then you can think that our galaxy is immersed in a cloud of dark matter. And as we travel with our solar system around the center of the galaxy, we are passing through this cloud of dark matter. And this dark matter Pass through our body, through Earth, interacting with it very, very little. So I would say we have millions of dark matter particles passing through us, through our body every day, every day, continuously. So at the moment, as we're talking, as we're talking, there is this dark matter wind that they pass through us. Now, dark matter you can consider that is not moving. And, and Earth is moving through the dark matter. So there is this apparent wind of dark matter toward us that is about, uh, that it, this wind flow with a velocity of about 800 kilometers an hour, quite strong wind. And then if we look at the million of particles of dark matter that pass through us every day, maybe a handful of them interact with some of the nuclei that have in our body.
2: Okay, so it's theoretically or hypothetically, it's there, but we haven't actually observed the particle. Can you give us some examples of particle physics history where we've theorized about a particle and then found it?
1: Well, all the recent years in particle physics, for example, the Higgs boson, we know that at a certain point, we needed to understand how from the big bang that being started with energy mass originated the mass of the fundamental particle and uh, one of the theory involved the existence of a new particle called the higgs boson higgs was the guy that proposed the, the particle and for 40 years, particle physicists looked for this Higgs boson and eventually was discovered in 2011 and announced in 2012 in Geneva with the larger, using the large atom Collider data. And this was something that was predicted, but we needed to chase for more than 40 years.
2: I'm sure one of the most common questions you get is why do we need to know these particles are there?
1: Well... As I said, it's the majority of the material of the universe. So in the end of the day, we know only 5% of the universe. We have theory that, you know, regulate fundamental particle and forces. Then we don't know anything else. So we are like in, a, in an island that is only 5% of the universe. And then there is all this other part of the universe that is completely unknown. For example, dark matter could be very complex. Some people think it's a single particle that make up so much of the universe. Some other people think that the dark universe is like a universe that is as complex as our universe but is interacting so little with us that we cannot see. So it's quite interesting. It's just exploring the most unknown. So particle physics helps
2: our understanding of nature and the galaxy itself, its basic understandings. I know one of the questions that physicists often don't like, but how can we use this? How have we used knowledge of particle physics in the past?
1: Fundamental physics is interesting. There are two ways you can use knowledge. One is just time. If you think about the beginning of the 20th century, there was uh, the quantum revolution, so people understood that the atom and the nucleus didn't work with the classical physics that has been uh, studied up to there, and they needed to introduce a new way of describing physics, and that was what is called the quantum physics. And if you ask in the 30s, 1920s, 1930s, what do you do with this quantum physics? People thought that it was just a curiosity, just how we discuss now about dark matter. But if you think about this quantum physics is the one that brought nuclear physics, particle physics. Now we are thinking about quantum computing. Quantum engineering is becoming part of everyday life. You know, our phone, our computers, everything is based on that. So fundamental physics at the beginning, the first time is you encounter it just a curiosity understanding more about the universe and then years later it's becoming one of the tools of everyday life the other part is that to explore these small particles to explore this universe we need to create instruments that don't exist because the problem has never been encountered before and so we need to invent new technology and this new technology is really providing rupture in technological development that are quite important. For example, the fact that you can now miniaturize in your phone the memory so you can store a lot of information, you know, most of my, our uh, mobile phone are as powerful, is not that more powerful on the computers that brought the man on the moon, has been stemmed from the fact that in some experiment in particle physics, we needed to miniaturize our electronics because... we didn't have the space, and this is something that we has been given to the to society. Another thing that is quite big that it changed completely society is that to communicate at CERN with all the people around the world for this experiment, like the LHC experiment, there are three thousand people. Happened that when someone invented the web. Not that didn't exist the internet, a way to navigate the internet and to share information that was very easy to use, and that was the web revolution. That you know, now we're having a podcast, and it's part of that revolution. So that is the way that the technology will be used. You know what we discover. In the end, in many years from now, or in less years from now, depending what we discover, we'll have a, a technological application. And on the other hand, there is all this technology that we invent to trace these unknown particles.
2: True. We often lose track of... Um, how much knowledge is accumulated and recontextualized in other research laboratories to make the things we have. I think there's a famous quote of someone, uh, was it, uh, someone commenting to Faraday about electricity saying, well, that's great, but what do we do with it? So there you go. Now, talking about detecting dark matter, what is the photosensitive paper that you're going to use to detect dark matter because we can't detect it yet. So what are the various technologies that are going to help us detect dark matter?
1: We need to find uh, atoms, substance, in which when they interact with the dark matter and interact with this substance, either they produce light or we can put them at a very low temperature, so very cold, almost at the absolute zero, So that when dark matter interacts with this substance, they get a little bit hotter because there is energy released and we can measure this difference in temperature. So we need to choose this kind of material that either emit light or we can measure the temperature. We need substance that are very, very pure because dark matter interacts so rarely with our matter that any radioactivity that we have in the material can mimic dark matter. And so what we are doing is using developing material that are ultra-pure, like uh, having so little radioactivity that even our body is too radioactive to be close to this substance. And then uh, place this substance underground with instrumentation that can read either the temperature or the light and embed this substance that could be salt Like sodium iodide salt crystal that produce light, or xenon, liquid xenon, that also emit light when uh, heated by dark matter, or even cool down the sodium iodide crystal at the absolute, almost at the absolute zero, and see how much they increase the temperature when dark matter interacts with them and place them underground. So the noise that comes from cosmic ray that bombard us all the time in the swamp. The dark matter signal does not disturb them. And then we wait. Wow. Very rare
2: that, that sounds amazing. So you're using these very purified crystals or materials and or they're at very low temperature. And even our human bodies give off too much radiation that they will react to it. That's amazing. That's very sensitive uh, detection. Now you mentioned the laboratories underground and You've been involved in building an underground laboratory. Has it been built? It's about a kilometre underground in Staw, Victoria,
1: Australia. So to catch dark matter that is all around us in the galaxy, we need to go deep underground because we don't want all this cosmic ray that reach us every day from the sun, the stars and the galaxy spoil the signal of dark matter. Just to give you an idea, we have billions of cosmic rays reaching our body every day, a million of dark matter particles reaching our body. But while almost all the, the cosmic rays interact with other atoms, only a handful of dark matter particles interact with other atoms. So obviously, if you want to do an experiment, you need to go where there are no cosmic rays. So we need to go deep underground. So our very sensitive material are placed deep underground. And when we speak deep underground, we're speaking about 8 kilometers or more. And so since we want to do this, the first dark matter experiment in the southern hemisphere in, that will be done in Australia, we needed to build an underground site to locate our detector. And we found a perfect site in Stoll, in, uh, nearby the Grampians, because they, there was a mine, there is a mine, there is a gold mine. that is one of the deepest mines in Australia. And uh, they offer to host us and, uh, underground, one kilometre underground. And we just finished the excavation a few months ago of the um, cavern where there will be fitted the laboratory where our dark matter experiment will go. We are one kilometre underground. To reach this laboratory, we need to drive down in the mine for 15 kilometres, and it takes about 20 minutes because you cannot speed in the mine. And when we reach there, at the moment, there will just look like a big hole in the ground. But with the time, we will fit a full laboratory, high-tech laboratory, where our experiment will go. You can also see, there are also experiments, all these kind of experiments that catch dark matter are underground, and so going there, our detector will be able to see quite dark matter because the cosmic ray cannot reach one kilometre underground.
2: That is very exciting that there's an underground laboratory that's going to be looking for the matter that holds together the universe. When do experiments start?
1: We are building the experiment. So if people want to see part of our experiment is in one turner, in a shed in one turner, well, it's a laboratory in one turner, it's a big laboratory because it's a big, uh, the external shell of our experiment. And will be brought down next year down in the underground laboratory. The underground laboratory needs to be fitted now and made, you know, put, uh, rendering the wall, making the floor, putting all the service and so on. So we expected that in about one year from now, this laboratory will be ready so we can start bringing down our experiment, it's called the Sabre experiment, and start commissioning our experiment and build it.
2: This is of great importance to the Australian and Commonwealth state governments Is there other collaborators that are also working with the Australian physicists that are going to be searching for evidence of dark matter?
1: Yes. So this experiment that we are building is involving uh, four universities in Australia, the University of Melbourne, Swinburne, the UNIW and uh, the University of Adelaide. And there is also a federal agency that is Ansto. but there is also international collaborators. The strongest collaborators and the larger group comes from Italy, from the Instituto Nazionale di Fisica Nucleare, that is the funding agency for particle and nuclear physics in Italy. There is a group from Rome, there is a group from Milano, and there is also a group that comes from another underground laboratory that is under the mountain in Italy, in the central Italy, called the Laboratorio Nazionale del Gran Sasso. We have also American, we have Princeton University, and also the Bell Lab. So this is the large collaboration. Now... This experiment that we are putting down in the uh, Stall laboratory that we call STOL Underground Physics Lab, SAPL, uh, will be a first of its kind all over the world, will be the first dual experiment in which there will be two parts of the experiment, one located in Australia and one located in Italy under the Grand Sasso. And the idea is that we have another experiment under the Grand Sasso in Italy that is over 20 years that sees a sickness. that could be interpreted as a dark matter particle signal. And this is huge, and this is quite important. However, no other experiment has been able to replicate the signal. There are many hypotheses. Why? Most probably because nobody could be able to replicate the purity of the crystal or the sodium iodide crystal of this experiment. So this experiment here, the same experiment, will uh, test this uh, signal of dark matter that we have in Grand Sasso and would be essential to test this signal in Grand Sasso that we have two experiments, one in Grand Sasso and one in Australia.
2: Elisabetta, this is very exciting. So in the next year or so, fingers crossed that we have the right purified crystal and the right conditions in which to detect dark matter, the hypothesised dark matter will be observable, which will be an exciting point in in particle physics. So I hope one day I'll be interviewing you (laughs) with some good news um, from the physics laboratory that says we've found the stuff that holds together the universe what led you into this area of particle physics? Because
1: it's such an invisible world to deal with. Um, I'm very curious, and I always wanted to know how things works and what is in our universe. There is nothing more interesting than digging in fundamental physics, how things works. What is the ultimate component of all the material that we are made of, and also the material that the universe is made of? And we don't know what it is. So there's been always this curiosity in me to know what it is. I always felt like I was, uh, I was like a, a kid under a Christmas tree waiting to open the presents. It was mm-hmm. the same like I felt like when we started looking for the Higgs. At the Large Hadron Collider, I really felt like a kid that there is the present and you want to open the present to see what is inside. So that's my curiosity.
2: Elizabeth, what misconceptions do people have about particle physics?
1: Because we, we describe this very small object, uh, really at the quantum scale, I think it may be seen very abstract that we are speaking about this object, you know, this particle, these forces that are out there and are very, you know, like esoteric. In reality, the forces and the particles that made us up. And so it may be seen like a fundamental science that has very little to do with us. In reality, it's the fundamental science that explains how things work at the end of the day. And it's also fundamental science that to be done, need to invent new technology. See this particular particle that we have been used quite a bit in our everyday life. I just mentioned before the, the miniaturization of electronics and, uh, and the web.
2: Being a science fiction fan, I'm often hearing the word antimatter. Is antimatter a thing?
1: Yes, it is. It's at uh, the Big Bang at the beginning. There was an equal, when energy became matter, there was an equal amount of matter and antimatter. Antimatter is matter with the opposite sign. So the anti-electron is an electron that is chargedly positive instead of negative.
2: Oh, so how is it different to dark matter?
1: Okay, antimatter is our matter, is, is the opposite of our matter. So it's an electron that instead of being with a negative charge, that is a positive charge. And the universe is made of matter. Antimatter matter most of it, soon after the Big Bang. And this is another mystery, why and so on and how. This is another story that involves neutrinos. And dark matter was at the same time in this big universe was also coming there. Dark matter was uh, also produced at the Big Bang. But since we don't know what that matter is, we don't know the production. You know, we don't know anything about it. All we know is that dark
2: matter matters and good luck for looking for it. Yes. What would you like us to think about when we're contemplating the bigger picture, being such a small person in such a big universe?
1: Well, this is the, the, the science that is trying to put everything together to explore this huge unknown that is around us, trying to make sense of where we are and our position in the cosmos. You see, dark matter has been a little bit, discovery of dark matter and dark energy has been like the Copernican revolution of our century. Before Copernicus, people believed that Earth was the center of the universe. Then they thought, oh, the sun is the center of the universe. Then, you know, the 10 past, oh, there is the galaxy. Then you realize that there is no center of the universe. And now we know that what we believe, everything that we know, everything, all our technology, is just a tiny bit of this Huge universe of which we know very little. There's still a lot to learn. Professor Elisabetta Barberio, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you to Elisabetta Barberio, Professor of Physics at the University of Melbourne and Director of the ARC Centre of Excellence for Dark Matter Particle Physics. And thanks to our reporter, Dr. Andy Horvath eavesdrop on experts stories of inspiration and insights was made possible by the university of melbourne this episode was recorded on july 22 2020 you'll find a full transcript on the pursuit website production audio engineering and editing by me chris hatsis co-production sylvia van wall and dr Andy horvath eavesdrop on experts is licensed under creative commons copyright 2020 the university of melbourne If you enjoyed this episode, review us on Apple Podcasts and check out the rest of the Eavesdrop episodes in our archive. I'm Chris Hatzis. Join us again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.